Extra. Today, recorded at the 2018 NFA Flute Convention in Orlando, I am joined by the New York-based musician Elsa Nilsson. Good morning, Nelsa. Good morning, Jean-Paul. Fresh from winning the Jazz Artist Competition here. How fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It feels really good. What did you play? I played some standards, which is unusual for me. I played Joy Spring by... Clifford Brown, I played Veracruz by Milton Nascimento, and I played Infant Eyes by Wayne Shorter and A Monk Tune, uh, four and one. So for those of the listeners that aren't really acquainted with you, playing jazz as a complete uh, genre is not normal for you as a concept, is it? No, I, I love playing standards, but I treat it a little more like classical people treat etudes. I play them to learn from them because there's some really incredible compositions out there and some really incredible musicians, but I'm not very good at fitting into other people's boxes. That is a gross understatement, my lady. <laughs> so how would you actually define, I know it's going to be really hard to define you and you don't like to be defined because you like to have freedom to move in and around genres, but how, if you had to define your musicianship and your playing how would it be it's absolutely modern jazz like if i have to put a definition on it that's what it is but that definition encompasses a lot of things like modern jazz is we played a tune last night at the cabaret where i told my bands to play like it's punk rock but it's still jazz but also hang on a sec elsa uh-huh. hang on a second punk rock uh-huh in five <laughs> <laughs> Now, can you explain that a bit more? Um, the time signature 5-4 or the oh, punk no, rock? No, obviously I'm aware of 5-4. I mean, okay, <laughs> I'm aware of 5-4, just in case some of our listeners aren't. Okay. Can you explain 5-4? It's, um, it's just like 4-4, but with an extra beat. So you get a weird lilt to the time signature, which gives you a different feeling to play with. Yeah. And you can do that with any time signature, but I like exploring, extending them, and how you can change how music feels depending on how many beats are in the measure so for example instead of going one two three four one two three four if you take the four as the measure you're going one two three four five one two three four five one right yeah and it gets you a lot more options for dividing it and changing it and but even that's quite um that's quite tame for you five four isn't it where often do you go I mean, it's, it's not that I sit down and I'm writing, I'm like, I'm going to write something in a crazy time signature. That's not the process. It's more that I hear stuff and I write it down and I'm like, oh man, i got to figure out what this is. I have no idea. And then I like, mess around with it and figure out how the phrasing lies, how, what it is I'm actually intending with the line. And sometimes it ends up being in 21.8. <laughs> but I don't sit down with the intention of writing something crazy. That's not... How I do it. It's I can't conceptualize that, so please excuse my <laughs> madness. <laughs> Elsa, Elsa Nielsen, where did it all start? The, the flute and just the love of music? Um, when I was about two, my dad put me on a stage and said, Sing. <laughs> That's very nice of him. Yeah, with his band where he played accordion, and it was a uh, choir yeah. of um, aging Swedish men. Um, singing sea shanties in English, but they did not speak English. Right. And uh, 
Yeah, from there I started playing piano when I was five. Um, played classical piano for like 13 years. And um, when my dad broke his neck when I was 14, I really just like channeled everything into music because it was my outlet. It was like what the only thing that I felt at home in in that crisis. And um, that's also when I started playing flute because I couldn't take the piano with me and I needed to have something that I could play and some kind of outlet wherever I went. So the flute was portable. And I picked up a flute and I just fell in love with it. Like it, it spoke to me in a way that other instruments never did. But I think I've always thought of myself as a musician before a flute player because the flute is just how I express myself. It's not, it's not the point. The music is the point. So when you started, who's your first teacher? And did, were you just thrown into... I mean, I've heard you play classical and you play it beautifully, but were you just thrown into classical music but because you were already playing with your father and singing with your father, you already had this passion for this style of music outside what you were being taught? Um, a lot of it was because of my high school flute teacher. Her name is Anna Svensdotter. And, uh, and I can't... So we, we have to, we have to, you know, I'd have to uh, jump in here, is that yeah. Elsa doesn't originate from New York. No. <laughs> Elsa originates from? I'm from Sweden, Gothenburg, Sweden. Yeah. And she sort of ran away to New York, didn't you? I, yeah, I ran away to Seattle first. I lived in Seattle for five years and then I moved to New York. Yeah, right. so I've been there for eight years now. So you're, that's why your first flute teacher was Swedish. Was very Swedish, and she's an incredible flutist, but she's also a outside-of-the-box thinker. So she would bribe me with, like, if you learn how to play these pieces, I will teach you jazz, I will teach you these other things. Do you know how lucky you are to have your first teacher that is like that? I'm very lucky, and I'm still close friends with her. Every time I go home, we have coffee. She's, she's still a big influence on me. And so if I'm getting that right, she was teaching the basic foundations, the root of flute playing, mm -hmm. the scales and the studies, mm -hmm. but then bribing you that if you did that, she would then allow you to actually explore outside. Wow. Yeah, and that's how I approach my students too. It's like you, in order to be able to play the music that you want to play and love, there are some foundational aspects that you need to understand. But you don't have to be, you don't have to fit yourself in that box. You don't have to be anything other than who you are but there's some information you need to know in order to be able to express yourself on your instrument. So that is why, yeah, learning the root is so important. Right. But don't fix yourself totally to the root if your heart is telling you you need to explore outside. I mean, and, and most people play the flute, and they love the classical flute, and they, were, they will train, do their etude practice and their studies, mm -hmm. and they'll play their Mozart, their Bach, their Kargilert studies, and they'll be quite happy in that genre. But if your heart is telling you something else... Right. And none of it's, I don't think any of it's wrong or any of it's better than anything else. It's just a different approach. And if, you're, if it feels true and you feel at home in what you're playing, then that's the right place for you. So when did you decide to make it a career? Uh, is it a career? Yeah. yeah, okay, you're in jazz. <laughs> yeah, sorry. When did you decide to make it your life? I, I mean, when I was 14. I, it shows me. I... I can't do anything else. Like this, this is what I have to do in order to be a complete human. But it's a hard life, isn't it? It's a hard life doing the music that you do. Yeah, it is. Um, but I'd rather, I'd rather not necessarily know how I'm going to pay rent and yeah. be happy with what I'm doing. And I teach. Like I, 
it's I have some form of stability through that. And so musically fulfilling rather than financially fulfilling, which is the for jazz players. I mean, it's a, a standard joke, really, isn't it? If you want to be rich, you don't go into jazz. But but if you want to be rich from a musical perspective, jazz opens so much, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And I get to play all sorts of amazing music. Like I play with metal people sometimes and bring my distortion pedal and yeah. and I get to try I get to try to appreciate all sorts of things that I wouldn't come across if I didn't live in New York specifically and if I didn't have an open mind about like, yeah, sure, I'll try that. So if you take that as the as the base of how Elsa started what advice could you give to somebody listening to this who may be returning back to the flute mm-hmm. after a long time out or someone that is new to the flute and would just like to, you know, experiment? Just find the music you love and learn that. That's, that's really it. So you're talking about pop music or songs and... Anything. Yeah. Because music... I. I think that we spend a lot of time putting definitions on things and saying that, like, this music is valid, this music isn't. It's all music. If it moves you, it's valid. And that's not the same for everyone. Just, like, just because something moves me deeply does not mean I expect it to move my friends or anyone else. Like, it's... We're all able to connect to different things because we're all different. So if, if you connect with something musically, explore that. So what you're actually saying is whatever you do is never wrong because whatever you're doing is you're exploring and if it's, if it's moving you or someone that's listening to you, then it's valid. Absolutely. And if you look at the great composers, like if you look at Beethoven, he did that. If you look at I mean, anyone who broke any kind of boundaries in history or any kind of musical ideas or was an influential player, an influential artist, they always took inspiration from things. Like Charlie Parker was obsessed with Stravinsky. And it's not, it doesn't help us to be like, this is my one little thing. It's, if you just explore and it, it doesn't make the thing less valuable to look at other things. Right, the word explore is going to obviously lead me on to another word, improvisation. Improvisation, that word to musicians, which is very scary. In my case, it takes me back to A-flat melodic minor many years ago, <laughs> the scale that I could never play. Improvisation. Mm-hmm talk to me (laughs) (laughs) I will improvise an answer to that it's only scary because it's unfamiliar it's an unfamiliar concept and it's not crazy like we improvise most of our lives and just bringing that onto the instrument is scary because we're so used to being able to say that we're doing something right and if you let go of that idea that it has to be correct with improvisation there is no correct if you play what you mean it's right if you play something that you didn't mean if you liked it, it's correct. If you didn't like it, try something else. It's really not this thing of, like, you have to follow all these rules and you have to do all the... You learn the rules so that you can understand the music and then you do what you want with that. But in terms of starting to improvise when, you're, when you haven't done it yet, it's just a matter of getting comfortable with the idea of... I'm not... Like, there is no mistake. You just play. Like, pick a scale that you like, not A-flat minor. And just... Melodic minor, my dear. Oh, yeah, okay. But just play, just play the notes out of order and see what you find. Oh, it's literally that. You're just playing yeah. the notes of the scale, but in different order, different speeds. Yeah. And yeah, and eventually you'll start to hear ideas. And what, really what improvisation is, like when you're 
playing classical music, you're playing notated music, you're translating music from the page onto your instrument. When you're playing improvised music, you're translating ideas from your mind onto the instrument or from your ear that you're hearing onto the instrument. It's just a different source, but the process is the same. It's still communicating through your instrument. And it's really, the difference isn't that big. So you're playing a, a jazz set, for example, mm -hmm. and it's very little written down apart from the keys mm -hmm. or w whatever you do have written down. When you start deviating off, into these rift passages how do you know where to get back to so the next person can come in you know the it's jazz players so you nod at each other you it, yeah. it's, like it's your turn to take over uh -huh. but do you ever get lost or is it yeah you, oh, you do get lost oh yeah I get lost um, usually on purpose <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, you have a structure to work with so if you say I have a 12 bar blues that's a simple structure. It's 12 bars. Those 12 bars keep repeating. Right. And the chords, the progression is the same every time. And you play within that or you choose to play outside of that. But the chords are still there. Mm -hmm. And as a band, you can play within that or choose to play outside of that. But it's still, like, you come back to the same spot at the same time. And a lot of it's rhythm. Because if you have that 12-bar unit, when you get to the top of the 12-bar, you know that that's what the chord is, that's where you are, that's the, like the foundation and even if no one plays it everyone knows that that's where you are but to me that is harder than reading music that's notated on a page because you know exactly where you are where you should be with jazz you it's just different it's not harder it's just different it's actually that's one of the things with my students I only have one thing they're not allowed to say in lessons and that's difficult like it's not difficult it's unfamiliar so I've got like five-year-olds telling me, this song is unfamiliar. And I'm like, yeah, good. That it's just the only thing that stands between us and doing something we want to do is time and putting the work in. So for anybody listening, take a scale, mm -hmm. pick any scale, and play around with the notes at any pace. Yeah. There's, there's really no rules. If you hear an idea in your mind, try to play it. So in front of you, you have this rather beautiful album cover but no CD. Mm -hmm. Is this your latest album? It is my latest album. It's coming out on October 12th, 2018. It's a beautiful cover. Can you explain the cover to me? Sure. Um, what I like to do with my records is I finish them, I master them, they're completely done, and I send them to an artist that I've chosen, and I give them no instruction. I just tell them to paint what they hear. And this is exactly that. It's exactly that. Um, so this album, I recorded it a month before my dad died, and like to the day we finished tracking. And he, when the, the hospital called me and told me that he was at the end, I sequenced it and I sent it to the doctor, and they played it for him as he was dying. So the cover reflects that too, because the girl who painted it, she's, uh, she's an old friend. I've known her since I was 12 and she knew my dad. She spent a year, she was our exchange student, she spent a year with her family. And she, it was perfect. It's exactly what I would have wanted if I said what I wanted, and she found it. So on the front cover, there's his boat. He was a fisherman. And there's a picture of the landmark where we buried him, which she didn't know, actually. She didn't know we were going to bury them there when she made the artwork. And the outside is really calm, and beautiful and still and then the inside is just like splatter <laughs> yeah. 
Because in that moment, that's like how it was. Like, everything felt really surreal and really just, it was hard to grasp what the reality was. And then on the inside, it's just complete madness and it's hard to focus. And the reason I'm saying all this is because I needed to hear other people's stories in that moment. And for anyone who needs to hear that, I'm here. So you're kindly letting us into a little track from the album to give a little sneak preview. What have you chosen, Elsa? I've chosen With a Smile. Um, that track is one that I wrote right after I saw him one of the last times. And um, I was on tour and I was home for two days. And I spent basically the whole time rehearsing. And it was really, really hard to leave. It was really hard to leave. And the band that I was on tour with, I wasn't super comfortable being, because, you know, being the only woman and being in a tiny van for two weeks with these guys and not knowing them very well yet is like, I don't necessarily want to put this weight on them. Um, so I got to my friend's house in, in Denmark and just completely fell apart when I got there. Because it's like this, every time I saw my dad was probably the last and it's like I was there for two days and I barely got to talk to him. I barely got to be there. And my friend was like, well, it's better that you went. You can leave with a smile because you know that it was better that you were there. So this particular track is so pertinent, so poignant. The whole record is stuff like that. Like a lot of the music is music that I wrote about or for my dad. So what I encourage you to do is close your eyes and just listen for a few moments to this beautiful track.
bearing in mind the story you started with, Elsa. Give us the name of the album and also where our listeners can find it. The album is called After Us, um, which is also the name of the last track on the album. And you can find it on Bandcamp. Um, you can also find it through my website. And if you want vinyl of it, you can find that at SunPress. And your website is? www.elsanilsonmusic.com So, the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, what's, where's the future lie, Elsa? I'm not sure right now. Um, I know this album has taken a lot out of you emotionally, physically, and also creatively. Are you taking a sabbatical? Are you going to take a time to recharge the batteries? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, anybody that knows Elsa knows that she can't sit still for no, five minutes. No, I'm not very good at that. No, I, I have a couple of projects that are still, that I started before, and... I kind of feel like a different person now after this record and this process. And so where I'm at right now is I am finishing those projects out of respect to the person I was so that I can move forward and explore this new, this new time because, because my dad was so sick for so long, it was a lot of, that was a big part of my life and a big part of my relationship to my instrument. So I'm kind of redefining everything right now. And it's really exciting and also kind of terrifying because I don't necessarily have an answer. Now, every time I hear you, your sound has changed. Yeah. Your sound's changed. So Elsa isn't a flute player that you can hear and say, oh, that's Elsa, because every time you hear her, it's like a developmental process, isn't there? I mean, that's life, too. I'm constantly searching. I want to, I want to find the truest expression of both who I am as a person and as a musician. And that's a lot of digging, that's a lot of searching, that's a lot of questioning, that's a lot of just like, not necessarily assuming that I'm right. And which is your favorite flute? Because you play three, or you you play more than three, but if we just do the concert flute, the alto flute, and the bass flute, which I know you for, do you have a favorite? Oh God. I really connect with the bass flute. Like, whenever I pick the bass flute up, it just, it feels like home. I don't play it as much as I play the concert, just because it's heavy. Um, But if I I had to choose one, it would be that. But that's a really hard choice. So what one piece of advice could you give to any aspiring musician, with flute player or not flute player, who really wants to forge a career or explore a career in music be true to yourself be true to what you actually love about music that's the thing that you can't lose I really can't add any more to that (laughs) Elsa Nilsson thank you so much for your time congratulations on the the prize fantastic you're now officially famous (laughs) and important in the flute world (laughs) And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. You're great, thank you. Thank you so much, Jean-Paul. We're played out of this week's Talking Flutes Extra podcast by another track from Elsa's album, After Us, entitled Practice, Patience.
Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.